are in a series, um, week six, Finding Joy in an Anxious World, from the book of Philippians. And so, um, if, if you're just joining us, we've been talking about these words each week that we want to add to our vocabulary. We've talked about things like gratitude and sacrifice and purpose and um, some, some other things um, that help push us towards joy. And that if we will start to live out these words and make these words a part of our life, then joy will become more and more abundant, regardless of our circumstances. And I think all of us can agree it's a really difficult world right now to find joy at times. With, with so many things going on, with um, the, the virus that's been kind of just made our world stop and crazy over the last seven months, um, to political, racial tension, all, all the things happening right now in our world that, that tends to push us to the extremes. It's really difficult to kind of stay right in the middle right now. And I've found myself just emotionally, and maybe you're, you're similar, I've found myself emotionally just kind of swinging at times where I'm really, everything's okay, or, or I'm really angry or frustrated. And, and, um, I, I don't know if anyone else relates to that, but, but right now more so than usual. But the word I want to talk about this morning um, is a word that I think is really, really important. Not, not that the other ones aren't, but the word is this, it's confident. Confident. And one of the things that, that I hope I'm instilling in my right now, um, and if you don't know, I have a 5-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 13-year-old. And so we, we are pretty busy most of the time, but one of the things I'm hoping that we are instilling in them is a sense of confidence in themselves, self-confidence. But what I want to talk about this morning kind of goes a little bit different direction from the self-confidence. Because I think as followers of Jesus, there is a self-confidence that we must have and we need to have, but that self-confidence, true self-confidence that we're going to talk about comes from a different Place. It flows out of something. It's not just simply confident that I'm good enough and that I can make it, that I'm strong enough, that I can learn. And so I'm going to ask and start with a question um, this morning as we move in that direction. And, and we started the series with this. Because if you remember the book of Philippians, it uses this word or a derivative of this word, kara, 19 times in four chapters. And kara means to rejoice or have joy. And so over and over, Paul talks about the need for joy in our life and how we get joy in our life. And the question that I want to start with is what stills your joy? What stills your joy? What is it in your life that continually pops up that seems to make joy really difficult? And not just simply the, the emotional swings that I talked about a few moments ago of happy, sad, angry, but, but this deep sense of abiding joy. If you'll remember back to week one, and if you weren't here, we talked about four things that still are joy. The four things are this, circumstances, 
So, so what happens to us? Um, we, we weren't asking for a worldwide pandemic in 2020. It just happened, and we fell into this. And so the circumstances have a tendency at times to steal our joy. People can steal your joy. Um, I'm sure everyone has that person in their life who is constantly just draining you of joy. If you don't have that person in your life, I have some really bad news for you. If you can't figure that out on your own. Comparison. When we start comparing ourselves, what we have, what we do, what our talents are, it will drain you of joy. Anyone ever buy a new car and then just weeks later you see someone else who bought a new car? And it's like, oh man, that... I really wish I had that. Or you, you get a new, uh, and, and it's probably not as big now because like the phones are just like, you can't even tell that it upgraded half the time because it's like so monumental or, or so minuscule in the, the upgrades. But it, you remember back when it started, like when they came out with the iPhone 1, and it was like, oh, oh my, you can, you have the world in your hand right now. And then they came out with the 2, like three weeks after you bought the 1, We we compare. I'm going to move this out of the way because this is going to... We compare things. And then the other one is worry. We worry about things. I've talked to a lot of people who are worried about November, about an election. They're worried about what's going to happen. And circumstances, people, comparison, worry... They will drain joy from your life. But this comparison deal is ultimately about things. It's about things. It's about tangible things, things that we have, we hold. Like, I like my phone, but oh, I really like yours. I like my car or my clothes, but I really like yours. I, but then there's the intangible, things you can't really have or hold, right? Right? I really believe I'm smart, but man, I wish I was on their level. I wish I had their ability to run or jump or dance or draw or write. Because comparison is really about things. It's about what we have and about what we can hold on to. And so Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. I've been telling you over and over, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. We should make that a song. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. And it is a safeguard for you. What does he mean it's a safeguard? You won't be drained by all those things that pull the joy out of your life. 
It's a safeguard. What, if we do what? If we rejoice in the Lord. Right? And he goes on to say, watch out. And Paul loves imperatives. He loves these commands. And so he says, watch out. Watch out for what? Watch out for those dogs, for those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And just so you know that he really wants to to drive home his point, if you go back to the actual Greek language, it says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. He uses this command three times. Watch out, watch out, watch out. And, And most of our translations just simplify it. And it's just watch out. Watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators. Who who are the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh? He's going to give us a clue next in verse 3. He says this, For it is we who are the circumcision. And circumcision was this ancient practice. If you don't know what circumcision is, call your mom and dad when you get home or talk to them. But we are the circumcision. The circumcised were the true Israelites, the true Jews. They they had this little club, this little group, this little party. And to be invited into their group, you had to have this little operation done. But Paul says, no, it's we who are the circumcised. It's not about surgery. It's not about flesh. It's about something bigger than just a little operation. We are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit. And then we who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. So so what was their confidence in is these Jews, these really the circumcised. It was that they had had this family this lineage. And if you know anything about this practice of circumcision, it comes way early in Genesis. And it was supposed to happen on the eighth day. Really early in the story of the the Bible, that circumcision was supposed to be done on the eighth day. So, if you're proud of that, guess what? You didn't make that choice. Correct? At eight years old, or eight days old, sorry. Eight days old. You want to be circumcised? Yeah. Yeah. You don't get that choice. So, so it's pretty crazy to be boasting in that and proud of that, right? Like, look at me. Look what I did. Well, no, no, let's, let's really drill down on this. This is not what you did. This is where you were born and who you were born to and what your parents decide to have done to you. This wasn't about you. And yet they made this, look at us. We're set apart. We're special. We're different because of who we were born to and where we grew up. And who our parents are. But then Paul goes on and he makes this comment. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. 
So, so you have confidence because of your heritage, because of your lineage, because of your nationality, because of a little surgery your parents had performed on you when you were eight days old. You are proud. You have confidence in that because that means I'm a part of God's family. And Paul says, wait, let's flip the script a little bit. Because there's a group of people who are truly circumcised. And it had nothing about what their parents did for them years and years and years ago. What it had to do was how they lived their life and where they found their confidence. Because the true circumcision was we who serve God by His Spirit and who boast in Christ Jesus. That's where the true confidence comes from. It's not an operation. It's not a surgery. But then Paul wants to prove something to everyone. Okay, here's his humble brag, right? Just so you know, if you think you can put your confidence in where you come from or who you are, let me just tell you about myself if I can. Not, Not to brag, really, but just so you know what we're talking about. It goes on. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, right? Not, not my decision. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. How many of those things that Paul names did he have control of? How many of the things that Paul names did he have control of? Zero. But then there are some things he does control. And he he wants to point them out too. In regard to the law of Pharisee. In, In other words, I got it perfect. I know all 613 laws in the Torah. I know exactly how they're ordered. I know which one's the most important, and I follow them perfectly. As a for zeal persecuting the church. So there was this little uprising, this group of people who were following this guy named Jesus, and they weren't really part of the people of Israel because there were Gentiles in that group. And so I was persecuting the church. In fact, I was putting them to death. And it was on the way to persecute someone who's a part of the church that Paul meets Jesus. Right? And, and so as for zeal, he's persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law of faultless. So, so he's right in the right group. Right? He's in the right group. He's got the passion and he's living out the law perfectly. Right? Here's who I am. Here's where I'm from. And just so you know, I'm getting everything right. I look the part of a perfect God-fearing Jew. I got it all together. Question. Have you ever played that game? Right, we talk about comparison. 
Have you ever played that game in church? You know, at times I tend to stretch the truth. But probably not like that person. I I let my language go at times. But not as bad as them. I struggle with pornography sometimes, but I haven't gone all the way to having an affair. And we compare. We, we compare where everyone else, where we assume they are, with where we are. And we play this game. And the reason we do it is our hope that it will give us confidence to stand before God. Right? At the end of the day, ultimately, there's two reasons we do it. One is to impress each other. So that everyone else will look and say, well, look at them. They got it all together. And the second reason is because we think it will impress God. You ever played the game? Have you ever put confidence in who you are or where you come from, how you vote, what side of the aisle you stand on, who your friends are? If you have, I would say congratulations, you're normal. But part of following Jesus is realizing that there is a different way to live. There's a different place that we would find our confidence. And these mutilators, these dogs, they're trying to convince everyone else that if you want to have confidence in who you are, that you've got to look the part. That you've got to be like us. The beauty of following Jesus is true life. True life is found in the confidence that Jesus is enough. See, it's all about the confidence that we have but not the confidence in who we are or what we've done or how good we are, but the confidence that Jesus is enough. And Paul's going to move into some language that's probably pretty familiar to most of us. We we know a lot about profit and loss. Can I borrow you for a second, Chuck? Just, I'll, I'll be nice. Just... Just stand right. I didn't even prep him for this, so this is really easy. Just stand here. Smile. Look nice, everyone. Okay? Just stay right there. So you know profit and loss. You remember these signs from school. That's a greater than sign. So how does this equation read? Yes. All right, so now that we've got an age done... <laughs> We'll go on to looks. (laughs) 
No, thank you. Okay. So, so we, we know the language of greater than, right? So-and-so is greater than. And Paul's point that he's going to make is that blank, or I'm sorry, I should reverse that, Jesus is greater than blank. Jesus is greater than blank. And here's the thing, is you can fill in the blank with anything you want. And what Paul wants you to grasp, what Paul wants you to understand, is Jesus is greater than anything you can find in this world. And Paul has his list, right? I mean, he, and we can go with our list that we know the Bible so, so well. And that we're really, really intelligent. And that when we come to church, we know all the songs, even the newer songs that aren't even in the songbook. And we're here every time the doors are open. And morally, we got everything down. We're headed in the right direction. And we are super connected. That was my birthday present when I was like 12 years old. Ser- like seriously. And so this is kind of off topic, but I snuck in the living room when my parents weren't gone. My parents are probably watching online, so I, I think they know this story, but if they don't, I saw a commercial where this guy, this dad, sneaks out under the Christmas tree, and he gets a pocket knife, and he slices open the tape, and then just peeks in the package to see what it is. And so I sliced it open and peeked in, and I saw I had a phone for my room. And I know, like, teenagers are laughing because, like, but this, this had a cord in it that attached to my wall. So, and, and so I peeked. Worst Christmas ever. I was so excited that I got my phone, but I was so mad that I ruined the surprise. So anyone listening or, or watching, mom and dad, I'm sorry. Um, anyone else listening or watching, like, don't sneak a peek. It ruins it. Um, and then you, you're connected all over the world, and you, you travel, and all of your needs are met because you make some money to provide for yourself, and, and your name has been made great. Um, you're a star in your business, in your school, and your kids are flawless. They, they win the awards, and, and in fact, you win some awards too, and you eat really well because you have lots of money, and your relationship with your spouse is just phenomenal, and you get lots of likes from people. So, so listen to what Paul says. Listen to what Paul says. But whatever gains, whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss. Right? Profit and loss. Think of it in those terms. Whatever 
I consider it a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. In fact, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I consider them garbage that I can, would gain Christ. And the word garbage here is a Greek word, scubalone. And scubalone literally is translated manure, dung, or feces. And our NIV makes it really, really nice and clean. But, but if you were to ask Paul, he would say, um, just, just so you know, the scale should look about like this. Because all of that that looks so weighty, that looks so promising, looks so powerful, all of that is worth nothing. And it looks impressive. And what you have is you have these people walking around who are saying, look at us. Look what we've done. Look what we've accomplished. Look how much I have to put confidence in. And Paul says, I consider it all waste, garbage, manure, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For whose sake, listen, for whose sake I've lost all things that I may gain Christ. I've lost all things that I may gain Christ. So, so in other words, as great as all that seems, there is one thing that outlasts, that outweighs everything this world has to offer. And what Paul says is Christ is greater than anything. Jesus is greater than. And if you were to grab his sign, it would look something like this. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than everything that you can do, everything that you can accomplish, every position you could hold, every amount of money you could ever earn. He is greater than everything. He's greater than your kid's ability to perform. He is greater than your intelligence. He is greater than any promotion you could ever get. He is greater than it all. And I think the question... Because I think deep down, I think most of us would say, absolutely, we have it up here. We know it. 
And my question this morning is, do you know it? Is this part of your life? Is this how you live? That your confidence simply comes from a place that you know Jesus is enough. And all of the stuff that we chase after and we try to earn and achieve and attain matters nothing compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is greater. But what is it in your life right now? What is it in your life that's constantly trying to flip the equation? What is it in your life right now that is threatening to flip the equation? What is it, another way to ask, what is it that you try to put your confidence in as you stand before God? What is it that you hope in the end will be good enough to allow you to stand blameless before Christ? What is it that you're constantly struggling with and constantly stilling your joy? See, here's the deal. If you get the equation right, if you get the equation right, joy will be abundant. If you get the equation right, joy will be abundant. But most of us, every single day, we search and we try to figure out, we try to find out what it is that will bring us joy. As we search, as we look. And and so here's what Paul says. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know what it looks like to and and find great strength in Christ's resurrection. And participation in his sufferings. Did, Did you ever realize? I mean, I know we know that part, right? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Did you ever really Stop and think about this line. To participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, but I want to participate in his sufferings and become like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. When it's all said and done, Paul says that I have confidence in my resurrection, not because of what I've done, 
but because of what Jesus did for me. And everything I could do, learn, become, pales in comparison. In fact, it's scubalone. It's dung. It's manure. It matters nothing compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. For whose sake? I've lost all of it. See, that equation, the equation for you and I is something every day that we struggle with. Because every day we are tempted to flip the sign. Every day we're tempted to try to find our joy and to find our confidence and what we've done or who we are. And Paul says, no. Christ, Jesus, is enough. He is greater than. See, the story that Paul tells is so powerful. Because it is our story. That God created us to be in relationship with Him and to be in relationship with one another. And sin wedges its way into our life. And what we found out along the way, it wasn't that we were actually trying to get all this stuff but really it was rather our pursuit to become God. It wasn't necessarily a pursuit to have things. It was just that we were using things, leveraging them to become God and to have control. And as creation continued to spiral out of control, Constantly chasing more and more things and trying to get more and more power and more and more control. Things come to a a place, this climactic point, where Jesus becomes a man and comes into the middle of the mess. The middle of the mess where this equation is already true. I mean, you listen to the psalmist that God is my rock, God is my salvation, God is my fortress. This equation was already true, but Jesus walks into the middle of this world where they have flipped the sign and then flipped the equation and tried to find something that was greater than God to satisfy them. He comes into the middle of that equation and he takes everything on himself, everything, the worst that sin could do in the struggle for power, and the struggle for control, and the struggle for possessions, he steps into the middle of it. He he steps into the middle of it to a world who thinks it looks like this, and he opens up his life, and he lays his life down so that we would understand, so that Paul could say that the equation is supposed to look like this. And he takes all of our sin, all the evil can do, the worst 
that you could possibly do to anyone upon himself. He stands here in the gap as this mediator, this in-between point, saying God is worthy of all things, that God is my rock, doing so, so much that he says, God, I'm going to trust that you have the power to raise me from the dead. Because that's what Philippians 2 said, right? That he had the power of God, but he laid that down. He didn't consider being in the power of God as a man, something that he would hold on to. He let go of it. Truly saying, God, you are my rock, and I'm laying my life down with no power to resurrect myself. If this is going to happen, it will be the power of your spirit that raises me from the dead. And so Paul goes on to say that it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead that now lives in you and that gives you power and that gives you strength. And Jesus was exalted. He was set beside God at the right hand of God. And that one day every knee will bow before him and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Paul says, I want you to know that everything I have, everything I've done, everything I've accomplished matters nothing compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And because I know that Jesus is Lord, I don't want to just enter into a life where I live in resurrection, but I want to participate in his life of redemption of making the world right. So he enters into the mess and he becomes sin for sinful man. He stands in our place and he takes on our sin and our shame. He, he reaches down into the muck and the mire and he sets us on the rock. And he gives us life. And so he says, I want to participate in his sufferings. In other words, I want to enter into the mess with Jesus in the redemption of this world. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, it means it's going to be really difficult. I'm going to have to die to myself and all the things that I want, all the things that I hold so dear, and all the things that I think bring me such confidence that I'm going to lay them down. I'm going to let go of them. I'm going to surrender them. I'm going to die to them. And he says, when I do, when you do, when you come to the realization that Jesus is greater than everything else this world has to offer, when you come to that realization, not here, but here, that you will lay down your life. that you will surrender your life to Christ. See, that's the beauty of what we practice in baptism. And a word that I love um, that, that we've kind of said, eh, we don't like that word, but sacrament, it means sacred mystery. And I like the idea of, of talking about baptism as a sacrament, the sacred mystery. 
this, this place where we're participating in this act of dying to ourselves. I mean, honestly, it's just water, right? We're just going under this water and being brought out of it. But what Jesus says is that is the place. That is the place where I meet you. That is the place where we come together in this beautiful union. That is the place where you are made whole again. That that is the place where restoration happens. That is the place where you are redeemed. That is the place where you are forgiven. It's in the water, and you're raised out of that water into this new life. And everything begins again. This life is made new. It starts over. And all of the pursuit, all of the things that we've tried so hard grasping for, we come to this realization that they will never be enough. What is it right now that steals your joy? Because my bet is everything that steals your joy belongs right here. Everything that steals your joy belongs right there. There's a song I remember singing all the time as a kid in youth group, and it was, it was really simple. And I think it's such a great reminder. Just close your eyes and listen for just a second. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let me just keep your eyes closed for a second and hold your hands out, just open palms. And just join me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Father, our God, we are so grateful for the gift of Jesus. Father, not only that we get to enter into a life of resurrection, to be called the redeemed, to be a child of God, but Father, as, as difficult as it is, we are honored and joyed to enter in and participate you with you in suffering, becoming like you in death. And so, Father, somehow we find resurrection. But, Father, we know that death always precedes resurrection. And we know that we have to go through some difficult times. And we have to learn some really difficult lessons. And, Father, many times those difficult lessons are the things that we're pursuing, the things that we're placing above you, beyond you, and finding great strength and confidence in. And, Father, today, once again, we surrender all of them. We lay them all down at your feet, and we consider them a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we turn our eyes, we fix our eyes on you, and we ask that you redeem us, that you set us free, that you make us new again this day, today, as your children, that we may be a light in this world, finding great confidence that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is greater than all this world has to offer. Father, we know it in our minds. Help us to live it out through our hearts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.